Well, as we get into the message today, I want to tell you, I don't know about you, but in this season, I've been learning some lessons. How about you? And so our message today is simply called Lessons Learned. We're going to be hearing from three of our amazing community pastors. We're going to hear from Johnny, a community pastor in our London community. We're going to hear from Zinti, one of our community pastors in Manzini, Africa. And we're going to hear from Jan Jennings down there in St. Pete, Florida. You're going to love this message on Lessons Learned. Sanbonani nonke. Lika malami nguzenti ni waganube. Gani nemgami lu sibafundi sikona lapa e Liberty Church Manzini. It is an honor, a privilege, and a joy to get to share the word of God with you today from wherever in the world you may be listening. I am here in the kingdom of Eswatini, as I already mentioned, in Siswati. And specifically, I am in the city of Manzini, where along with the rest of the world, I have had the opportunity to learn some lessons during a really unfamiliar and different season that we are all walking through. You know, I have never been much of an athlete, but I've always had a dream to run a marathon. It is a huge dream and goal in my life to run a marathon. I love the idea of getting to the finish line, uh, crowds cheering and finishing the race and receiving the prize at the end of the marathon. But what I'm learning is the process that is needed to get me to that promise of the finish line. I'm learning things like learning to enjoy running in the morning when it's just me and the birds and it's cold and it's quiet and I need to run and get ready for the marathon. I'm learning things like holding that plank position when it hurts so much and I just want to stop pushing through and pressing through that pain that is preparing me for the marathon. I'm learning even things like changing my eating habits because I realize that they are going to affect my stamina and my perseverance as I prepare for this marathon. And you know, this lesson that I'm learning about running and about a marathon is the same lesson that I'm learning about life during this season. And the lesson is this. If we are going to one day experience the promise, then we must right now be willing to embrace the process. We must be willing to embrace the process if we are going to experience the promise. The Pharisees are the teachers of the law um, in the Jewish culture. And in Jesus' time, they, along with several of the Jews, so they were the leaders, teachers of the law, along with several of the Jews, the Jewish nation had been waiting for a promise that God had made hundreds of years ago, the promise of a Messiah. However, the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees in that time, when Jesus arrived and was on the scene, and here he was, the promise they actually missed him. They missed him so badly that they accused him of being the devil himself and some even had a hand in him getting killed. This promise they had been waiting for. Jesus said something that stood out to me in John chapter 5 and I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 5 verse 39. This is what it says. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. I'll read it again. 
You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. See, preparation happens, and it was happening during this time for years and years, and they were even searching the scriptures. Time was happening, time was carrying on, but when they got to the promise, they missed it. Because even though preparation was taking place, they hadn't embraced this process. They hadn't engaged. And so they missed the promise when it was right before their eyes. And the same thing can happen to us. That's what I'm learning. That if I'm not embracing the process, if I'm not engaged in the process, when the promise comes, I might very well miss it. I must be willing to engage preparation, spirit, soul, and body. I mustn't resist it. But I also just mustn't tolerate it, right? It's, it's happening and so it's there and I just tolerate it. Rather, I should engage in the process of preparation so that I can experience the promise when it comes. I should be, we should be willing to engage preparation even in the private seasons. Those times when it's just me and God. When he's talking to me about something that is just for me not for social media, not for my friends, sometimes not even for the closest circle, just between me and the Lord. There are those things that he is doing and saying to us at times that are very private and personal. We should engage in those things and embrace that preparation. We must embrace the preparation even during painful seasons. Those times when God disciplines us and challenges us on some things and it's painful. Maybe he brings up an issue of unforgiveness that we are dealing with and that brings up some pain and it's a difficult thing to go through. We still must choose to engage spirit, soul, and body and embrace that season of preparation because we're looking forward to the promise. We must be willing to engage in preparation even during the puzzling seasons, during those times when we might have maybe lost our income, maybe lost a job, but then God speaks to us and he wants us to be generous to somebody else and we don't understand, but we choose to trust. We must engage in those seasons of preparation that are puzzling because we are looking forward to the promise. Lou and I have been married for going on 11 years and we are so thankful for this gift of marriage that God has given us. It's been a beautiful journey of many lessons and adventures, challenges, and just beautiful things from the Lord. And as we have been on this journey, one of our desires has been to have children, to have our own children physically and to be parents. And God has actually given us promises through friends, through family, through strangers sometimes, and to our own hearts, God has spoken and given us a promise that we will, in fact, be parents to our own physical children someday. But right now, we are in a season of preparation. We haven't yet experienced the promise. And there are some times when it's very private and he speaks to us individually as a couple, sometimes even to us individually as Lou and as Zinti. There are some very private times during this time of preparation and we embrace those we are learning to engage and embrace. There are some painful times. There's been some tears and difficult times, difficult seasons, and we are choosing, we have been choosing and we continue to choose to engage those because we're looking forward to the promise. There have been some puzzling times when there's more questions than answers and we choose and are learning to continue to choose to trust and engage, remain engaged 
in the preparation, embracing the preparation, because we're looking forward to the promise. So I have two questions for us as, we, as I end today. And the first question is this, what has God promised you? I believe that he has promised us several things in his word and he has also given us some personal promises. So what are some things that God has promised you? And the second question is, are you willing to embrace the preparation so that you can one day experience the promise? God says in his word in Isaiah 55 that his word goes forth and it accomplishes what he desires. He says in numbers that he is not a man that he should lie. We can trust him. The promise is set. The question is, are we willing to embrace the preparation? Please, can I pray for us as I close? Father, we give you thanks, we give you glory, and we give you honor. And we choose to commit to wait on you with our eyes fixed on you. And as we wait, I ask God that you would renew our strength, that you would cause us to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint until we see and experience the things that you have promised us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hi there, church. Wow, what a season we are in. It's been a tough time, hasn't it? I don't think the analogy of life being like a roller coaster has ever been so appropriate. There's days where I find myself going up and things are feeling a little bit better and then something happens and we come right back down again. I know I've felt like that. I'm sure many of us have felt that too over the last few months. I'm sure we've all learned a lot in this season too as well. One of the things I've learned um, is the power of the love of Jesus. A few months ago, um, before we were on lockdown in the UK, when coronavirus was beginning to have an effect here and it was becoming, becoming a little bit more real, I posted something on Instagram, which I actually now regret. It was um, just a, a black background with white, three words written in white. And it was, uh, the three words were faith, not fear. Faith, not fear. And then in the caption, I wrote a small explanation about the story from, from Mark chapter six, where Peter is walking on the water towards Jesus. And I said, when Peter was walking on the water and he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was fine. But when he, when he became more focused on the storm that was happening around him, on the wind and the waves, and took his eyes off Jesus, that's when he began to sink. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep focused on our faith, not on our fear. Now, why do I regret posting that? Because I still agree with it in, in a sense, it's true. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I don't think anyone would say that isn't true. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The problem was, I ignored the love part of that. I brought the truth, but I didn't bring the love. At Liberty Church, uh, we have five values, and the first two are love and truth. And we say that, um, you, you'll often hear us say that love without truth isn't real love, and truth without love isn't received. Well, what I brought there may have been true, but I didn't bring love. You see, what I missed out in the story was when Peter was walking towards Jesus, yes, he wasn't sinking when he had his eyes on him. And then, yes, he did begin to sink when he took his eyes off Jesus. 
But what happened next was Jesus didn't just abandon him and leave him to sink and say, well, you took your eyes off me, Peter, so suffer the consequences. What happened next was Peter, Peter was sinking and Jesus walked on the water to him, pulled him out of the water and took him to the boat, took him to safety. You see, even though Peter had taken his eyes off Jesus, Jesus didn't abandon him in the storm. The point is, Jesus' love is so great that us, whatever situation we're in, he doesn't abandon us. Now, I posted that, yeah, a few weeks before lockdown began. But after I posted that, what had been kind of abstract, this coronavirus, which had been happening somewhere else to other people in a different country, began to become more real to us in the UK. And uh, after I posted that, a few days later, some people were getting sent home from work. Some people began to lose their jobs or at least have their jobs put on furlough. Some people, uh, they had to think about postponing weddings that were coming up. Some people had to cancel holidays or realise they weren't going to go on holidays that they, had been, that they had booked and been looking forward to. People uh, were sent home from school. Lives began to change very drastically in a way that no one had experienced before. People in our church community began to get sick. Loved ones got sick and some of us even lost people due to coronavirus. Our friends and our family actually died. And we became what had been this abstract, this abstract idea of a virus affecting other people became very real and very concrete and affected our lives in a powerful and painful way. The storm had hit us. And I really think it's so important that we know that as the storm hits, Jesus doesn't abandon us. That yes, we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and it's important that we do that. But even if we take our eyes off him and focus on our loss, focus on our grieving, focus on our mourning, he doesn't leave us. In fact, he is there with us. A few nights ago, my little boy, he's three years old. He's called Josiah. He woke up at about 3 a.m. in the morning, not when you want to wake up. And he was crying and I went through to his bedroom and he'd had a scary dream. Now, I didn't just stand in the doorway to his bedroom and say, JJ, have, have faith, not fear, and close the door and go back to bed. Now, I, I'm not the perfect father. I do, I do my best. But even me and my imperfection knew that that wasn't loving. So I went to him. I sat on the edge of his bed. I gave him a cuddle and then I stroked his head and told him that he was okay, that I was there with him, that even in his fear, he wasn't alone. Well, if I did that in my imperfect, imperfect, broken humanness, how much more does God in his perfection, with his perfect, never-ending love, stay with us in our pain? There's another story in the Bible when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to uh, the, the village where uh, Lazarus lived and he finds there his family, his sisters, and they're crying and they're mourning. Now, Jesus knows that what happens next is he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to bring him back to life. And so he could have gone in there and said, don't cry, I'm going to make it all better. 
but his love is so great that what he does is he goes to uh, Lazarus's family and it says that he cried with them. He wept with them. In fact, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, in the NIV version at least, is Jesus wept. He was there with them in his pain. And even though his family, uh, Lazarus's family, were saying things like, Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? He was just present. He never abandoned them. He was there in their pain. He was there in the storm. He didn't leave them, even if they took, his, took their eyes off him. You see, Jesus' presence gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that even, even if it doesn't make sense, even when we think about it from a worldly way and look at the size of the storm that's happening around us, his peace is deeper than that. It's greater than that. It surpasses all understanding and it's a peace that only comes because he is present with us. He is present with us. He doesn't leave us in our pain. He doesn't leave us to sink. If we take our eyes off him, if we're angry with him, if we're like, God can't be here because this is happening. Even if we say that, even if we think that and believe that in our heart, he is there with us. He's there with us. Whatever you're feeling right now, God knows what the thoughts in your head are and he knows what the pain in your heart is and yet he is still there with you and he is never going to leave. He's never going to leave. And because he's never going to leave, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And because we know that he's there, we can have a faith. And because we've got that faith, we can let go of the understanding. And that's where the peace surpasses our understanding because we can hold on to our faith and know that we're not alone and that the storm that's happening around us isn't as great as the love that is sat there with us. I think we should pray, church. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that your love is so great that you never leave us alone. When we're in the storm, when we're suffering, when all we have around us is fear and despair, you are right there with us. Thank you. God, I just pray for those of us in, who are in the storm right now, who are struggling right now and hurting right now, may we know that you are with us. May we feel your comfort. May we have your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, Liberty Church. My name is Jen. And for those of you that I have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, my husband Brian and I are the community pastors of Liberty Church down here in St. Pete, Florida. And I don't know what it's like where you are in the world, but in our city, we have been in this slow process of reopening. Restaurants are beginning to reopen, playgrounds are opening up, and just recently, our beaches have reopened. And I have a five-year-old son and a 14-month-old daughter who have been losing their minds at home. So the minute that we could, 
we headed out to the beach. And it was actually going to be my daughter's first time going to the beach. She's never been. So we were pretty excited about it. And um, I had her on my hip and I had a couple of bags and my son was carrying a bag as we headed out onto the sand to sort of scope out our six to 10 foot physically distant spot from anyone else. And we found it fairly easily. But the minute we found it, my son dropped his bag and went running into the water. And I put my daughter down on the sand and I turned to sort of spread out our bags because, you know, you got to scope out the spot, right? And so we scoped it out. We like laid it out. You know, I laid them all out and I stood up and I turned around and my daughter, my tiny little daughter is standing about tops three feet away from crashing waves, from right where the waves are crashing. And she's standing there and I can sense that she's sort of taking it all in, the waves, the water, everything. And then she looks at my son and she is riveted by him. And you can tell she's just sort of focused on him. And he is, he's having the best time, having the time of his life. He's getting knocked down by waves. He's coming back up and he would just playing and frolicking in the water is the best way to describe it. He would get knocked down. He'd go underwater. He'd come back up laughing. He'd get knocked down again. He'd turn around under the water and he'd come back up smiling. And all of a sudden, my daughter turns back to this massive body of water and these crashing waves. And without warning, she takes off running toward it. No floaties, no life jacket, no life preserver, like literally nothing. She's just running off into the waves. And you'll be happy to know that I did grab her out of the water. She did take a tumble. However, I very quickly was able to reach her and grab her out of the water. But as I was taking her back to the sand, I thought, what? would compel her to do that. Like, what was she doing? This is a completely unfamiliar environment to her. She has never felt the sand beneath her feet. She has never seen a body of water this large. She's never seen waves. What could possibly have compelled her to go running with so much boldness and courage and just throwing caution into the wind and just going after it? Like, what would have compelled her to do that? And in that moment, I got this picture of my son and I realized it was him. She was fascinated and riveted by his experience in the waves. And so she just took off into the waves. And I thought, well, what was it about him? It wasn't his skill or his ability to navigate the waves. He was getting knocked down. Every other wave, he's getting knocked down. He's a bit of a hot mess out there in the water, if I could be honest. And I say that with all the love in my heart. But he would get knocked down by a wave. He would come up sputtering. Like he just, he, it wasn't his skill. It wasn't his ability to navigate the wave. It was his joy. Because every time he would get knocked down, he would come back up and he would be smiling. Or he'd come back up and he would laugh out loud. It wasn't his abilities. It was his joy, his obvious, uncontainable, uncontrollable joy at the experience of being in the waves that compelled my daughter in a completely unfamiliar environment to go into the waves boldly and courageously. And in that moment, God reminded me of Nehemiah chapter eight, where it says that it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I don't know about you, but this has probably been the hardest season of my entire life. It's just been a season of individual mourning, but also collective mourning and grief and heaviness from the pandemic to the recent deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and this Holy Spirit sort of revelation, revolution that is happening right now all over the world with 
systemic injustice and the sin of racism, and it's just at times felt so overwhelming. And I have just felt like, I just, I need a break. Like, I need to take a seat. This is so much. I don't know what to do. I've felt almost paralyzed in the midst of my frustration and my anger and my doubt and my confusion and not knowing the way forward. And in that moment, God said to me, Jen, it is my joy that will be your strength. And he reminded me that he is a both and God. He's not an either or God. Our God will sit with us in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our confusion. And then he will lead us out in joy, in joy. And that will be our strength. And I don't know about you, I don't know how you talk to God, but I had a moment with him on that beach where I just got, I said, okay, God, that's great. That's great. Your joy is my strength. I don't feel joyful. I don't want to be joyful. I don't know how to be joyful. This is just a mess. Can you please explain? And God reminded me that happiness is an emotion, but joy is a decision. Joy is a decision. And oh, how our hurting world needs the fullness of our joy that we find in Him. So how, how do we decide? How, how do we find the fullness of the joy that we have in God and sit in it and walk in it out of our pain and our frustration and our heartache? How do we do that? You know, Hebrews chapter 12 says that it was for the joy set before Him that Christ endured the cross. It was the joy set before Him. And it also says that we look to Him so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. We look to Him. So we find joy in His example. Joy in His example. Because do you know what the joy set before Him was? It was you. And it was me. For the absolute joy of knowing that we would be His, He endured the cross. It gave Him strength and propelled Him forward into what God was calling Him to do. So we find joy in His example. Second, I think we find joy in His presence. Psalm 16 says that in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. We find joy in His presence. And so I want to get practical. I want to get practical, and I want to be equipping in here today. And I want to share with you a practice that God laid on my heart when the pandemic first started and we were all quarantining at home. And that was to sit in His presence for 30 minutes every day. 30 minutes every day. Put this down, this right here, put it down and sit in his presence for 30 minutes. Set a timer because you would be surprised at how hard it is to be silent and still for 30 minutes. But I, I, I sometimes like to hold up a notebook and a pen that's next to me and if God gives me a name, I write it down and then I go back to sitting in his presence. I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I just sit in his presence. I sit and I say, God, I just want to hear you. I want to feel you, God. Infuse my heart with your joy and your strength. I just want to sit with you. Speak, God. I'm listening. And then for 30 minutes, I just listen. Sometimes he gives me a name and I write it down. Sometimes he gives me a verse and I write it down. Sometimes he speaks a word over me and I write it down. But every time I go back to sitting with him in silence, so I want to challenge us to do that this week. Every day this week, find 30 minutes to sit alone in the presence of God and just let him speak to you. 
Just let him speak to you. Let him love you. Let him give you joy. Because we can't go out in his joy until we have sat in his joy. Because it is only in him and through him that we will be able to experience the glory, the justice, the revival that it is in our hearts to see. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12 through 13 says this, So you will go out in joy, and you will be led into a whole and complete life. The mountains and hills will lead the parade, bursting with song. All the trees of the forest will join the procession, exuberant with applause. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. Monuments to me, to God living and lasting evidence of our God. I bless you. I bless you in as much as it is in my ability to bless you with the fullness and the strength of joy.